Okay, so today we're going to be hanging out in Ezra Nehemiah. So if you haven't already, you might want to press pause and get your Bible ready, get it open there. Um, But before we jump into that, let me just pray. Father, we just invite you into this time and this space. By your spirit, we pray, come, bring your word alive to us. Share your heart with us and speak to us, we pray. We long for you. We long to know you more and we long to be near to you. That's our heart today as we open your word, God. Amen. Great. Like I said, today we're hanging out in Ezra and Nehemiah, and we'll get to reading some of the scriptures in just a moment. But before we do, I want to take you through uh, just a little bit about Ezra and Nehemiah. So uh, originally, Ezra and Nehemiah were actually uh, one book. We think of them as two, but originally they were one scroll written by one author, and then it was chopped into two books because of the length of it, the length of the scroll. And to find out a a little bit about the backstory, we need to jump back to the end of Two Chronicles because Ezra comes out of that story. And at the end of Two Chronicles, what you discover is that the people of Israel, um, they have been taken captive by the Babylonians. The Babylonians have invaded and they've taken the Israelites captive and they've carried most of them off to Babylon. And that's, that's where it stays, really. For the next 70 years, Israel is in captivity in Babylon. And that is until the empire of Persia comes in and, and, and it takes over, it destroys, it, it wins the battle against uh, the king of Babylon and, and they rise up in power. And so Persia now has conquered Babylon. And so Israel that was in Babylon is now part of the Persian empire. And that is where we get to at the start of Ezra. There's a new king on the throne. It's the king of Persia now over what was originally Babylon. And so this is where where we're headed. This is how we got here. This is the story so far. What happens next across the story of Ezra and Nehemiah is like this. The story of Ezra and Nehemiah has three main sections. Section one is uh, about the rebuilding of the temple. And and the main character really in that is a guy called Zerubbabel. Uh, But what happens there is is that the king of Persia, he he gets this decree from God to send the Israelites back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And and so they go and they do that. Um, And then in the second section, a similar thing happens. The king sends this character back to Jerusalem to do something else. And what happens in the second section, section is the re-establishing of the Torah, the the teachings of God, the law of Moses, uh, the the, the scriptures, the re-establishing of the Torah. And the main character there is a guy called Ezra. Ezra comes back to Jerusalem, sent by the king to teach the word of God, the scriptures of God to the people living in Jerusalem and to, to establish the way of the scriptures in their life again. And then the third section, the third section is 
all about the rebuilding of the walls. And the character there is Nehemiah. And he comes back to Jerusalem, again sent by the king there in Persia, sends him back. And he rebuilds the walls around the city. Ezra Nehemiah is the story of the rebuilding and the re-establishing of Jerusalem as the place that God's people dwell, as the holy city, as the city of God. But, but if we go back to 2 Chronicles, we discover something. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, uh, verse 21, let's just read this together. Because what we discover there is that while the people may not have been in Jerusalem, God still was at that point. It was always his. It was always the land that he had chosen to make his dwelling. So so listen to this from 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 21. They've been carried off by um, the kings of Babylon. And it says this, the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest. All the time of its desolation, it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. You see, the people, they were carried off into captivity. But the scripture tells us, the scripture tells us that the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest. What is Sabbath? I don't know what you think Sabbath is, but Sabbath is about time and space where God dwells and we can dwell with him. And so what we read here is that the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest, meaning Meaning that the land enjoyed just the place and the space and the time where God was dwelling and could bring life to it. Could bring life to it. <clears throat> I, I want to uh, flip this picture onto our lives. And uh, bear with me just a moment here as I do that. Uh, but you. You are saved. If you believe in Jesus, you are saved. If you are a Christian, then you are his. You are marked out as his. He loves you. You know him. He's in your life. You are saved. That, that's it. But I wonder what condition your land is in. I wonder what the state of your life is. What, what the condition of your mind and your heart and your spirit are. Because the land in this story, it it was always God's. It was always God's. But the land was not in a good condition. The people had ruined it. The people had destroyed it. The people had desecrated it. And so God had them carried off into captivity. And the land was still his. It was still the holy place. But the condition of it wasn't good and God needed to do something about it. And, And I wonder... What is the condition of your land? What is the condition of your life, of your mind, of your body, of your spirit? Do you need to re-establish the place of meeting with God? That was the temple. Do you need to, to, to uh, re-establish the teachings of God in your life? Do you need to let them speak to you to bring hope and order and beauty and life to you? Do you need to let the scriptures bring you to life do you need to be built back up again 
like Nehemiah built up the, the city walls, do you need to be built back up to be set apart as his? I wonder what is the condition of your land. Um, and this process that Ezra and Nehemiah take the people through, Actually, that's what our vision is all about. You see, the, the re-establishing the temple, the reteaching of the Torah, the rebuilding the walls around the city. You see, actually, that's what our vision is about. It's about being with him, about learning from him, and about becoming like him. It all starts with him being at the center of our lives. Then we learn from him. And then we become like him. We start to live differently. We build uh, the shape of our lives, the pattern of our lives around the thing that is at the middle of our lives. I wonder, is Jesus at the center of everything that you do? Is he at the middle of your life? And is he the thing that you are building around? Is he forming the shape and the pattern of your life? life. If he isn't, then something else will be. And the shape and the pattern of your life will look different. You know, it may resemble very vaguely a Christian life. It might look good. It might have morals. It might be filled with generous acts. But if Jesus isn't at the middle of it, then the shape of it, while it may resemble a Christian life, won't resemble a holy life, a life filled with the presence of God. What is the condition of your land? You see, in the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, the people go through this process. They, they, they literally, um, they, they rebuild the temple. They reteach the Torah in public. Uh, and, and they rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. They establish the city of Jerusalem again. But, but in the end, something's not quite right. Something's not quite right. If you jump to the end of the story of Nehemiah, what you discover there in that last chapter is things are not looking good. As we read the last chapter of Nehemiah, we discover that the temple has been neglected. The rituals of the temple have been neglected. The priests have, have let out the rooms in the temple that had a specific holy purpose. Just let them out, rented them out to some other people, said, God, just come and live in these rooms. And the knock-on effect of that meant that those rooms could no longer be used for the holy purposes that they were set aside for, which actually then impinged on and affected the worship of the people of God. And they, they neglected worship, they neglected the servants of the temple, and they neglected the practices of the temple. It, it all goes horribly wrong at the end of Nehemiah. But not only that, as we keep reading, what we discover is more than that. We discover uh, that the people also neglected the teaching of the Torah. So, so Ezra spent all this time teaching the Torah, hey, this is how to live. This is the, what the word of God says. This is what brings life and hope and joy and peace. This is how we abide in him. And we get to the end of Nehemiah and we discover that the people have abandoned the teaching of the Torah as well. It's like they've heard it, went in one ear, they celebrated it and it went out the other. And that was it. Not only that, 
we also discover that, that it was almost pointless for them to build the walls. You, you see, the walls were this thing that was supposed to mark them out, set them apart as this city that the presence of God dwelt in uh, that was different and separated from every other place around them. But when they built the walls, the detestable practices that the people had started doing inside of the city, well, when Nehemiah called them out on that, do you know what happens? They just took it outside the walls and did it there instead. The walls were pointless. The walls didn't mean anything. And so what we find is that at the end of Nehemiah, uh, everything had gone horribly wrong. And the people at the end of Ezra and Nehemiah had essentially become the same as the people at the end of two chronicles. The people that God said, we need to get these people out of this land because they are ruining this land. They are not living in the way that I've called them to live. They don't know me. And so I want to take them out that they might call out to me and long to come back to me. Everything's gone wrong and they are just as bad at the end of Nehemiah as they were at the end of two chronicles. And so I want to ask the question, why? Like, why? Why did that happen? We strive so hard, don't we, at times to live the Christian life. But why doesn't it always seem to look right? What is going on there? Well, to discover that, we need to jump back to Ezra chapter 6. So, Turn with me, if you will, to Ezra chapter 6. And uh, we're going to be looking at verse 15 to 19. The temple has been completed. This is, this is what's going on. They've, they've got back in. They've rebuilt the temple. And it says this. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. For the dedication of this house of God, they offered a hundred bulls, 200 rams, 400 male lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, one for each of the tribes of Israel. And they installed the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their groups for the service of God at Jerusalem, according to what is written in the book of Moses. Then on the 14th day of the first month, the exiles celebrated the Passover. Now, you might think, well, that's, that's great, Matt. What does that tell us? What has that got to do with why everything went so horribly wrong at the end of the book of Nehemiah? Why did building the temple, teaching the Torah and building the walls up again not change the way they lived? What happened there? And to discover that, we need to flick back to 2 Chronicles. So turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 5. And this is the story of the first time the temple was built. You see, what we've just read is the temple being rebuilt after it was destroyed when they'd been taken off into captivity. But now, let's go back and read the account of the temple being finished the first time round. So 2 Chronicles chapter 5, the temple's been, been built, it's been set up. Solomon has prayed this great pair of dedication and um, dedicated it to the Lord. And in verse 7, we read this. The priests then brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. 
And then as we keep reading, what we read then is about the cherubim and the most holy place and how the, the Ark of the Covenant was put there. And then it goes on to talk about how the priests, they left the holy place. And as we read, then they, they dedicate themselves and they start singing and dancing and offering sacrifices of worship and praise to God because he's here in his temple with his people. And it goes on and says this, they sang to the Lord, he is good, his love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. The glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Do you spot the difference between the first time the temple was built and the second time the temple was built? The first time it was built, they carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord into the temple. They put it in the most holy place. They put God in his rightful place. Then they respectfully withdrew and they praised God. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. But the second time when they rebuilt the temple, so that's missing. Something's missing. The ark of God is missing. The presence of the Lord is missing. And let me say this. If there's no presence, there's no point. No presence, no point. No presence, no point. It looked good. It looked good, didn't it? We've got the temple. We're publicly teaching the law. And we've rebuilt the walls. Check, check, check. We're doing all the right things. It looks good from the outside. But if there's no presence, there's no point. No presence, no point. You see, it's presence that changes everything. Presence changes everything. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, hey, wait here in Jerusalem. Do not do a thing. Don't go anywhere. Don't say anything to anyone. Don't do anything until my spirit comes. Wait for my spirit to come. Moses, Moses says to God, Lord, if your presence does not go with us, then do not send us up from here. What will separate us? What will mark us out? What will distinguish us as different from everybody else upon the face of the earth if your presence does not go with us? It's presence that changes everything. No presence, no point. You see, without presence, it's just religion, not relationship. And the temple was supposed to be relationship. The temple was supposed to be the place where the people would come and meet with God, where they would find him, where they would discover his hope and his healing and his joy. It was supposed to be relationship. But without presence, the temple was just religion and ritual. Without presence, we just end up with the letter of the law instead of the spirit of the law. Without the presence of God, without the spirit, without spirit and truth, 
then we just end up with hard-hitting words that bind us up and tear us down. We don't find hope and joy and freedom in those things. Spirit, his presence, his breath. You see, when God speaks, breath comes out. You might remember going back last year, I got you one time to put your hand in front of your mouth and to speak. And as you do that, you feel the breath of your words. See, God's word has his breath of life in it. No presence, no point. Without the presence, we just end up with striving and stress instead of peace and rest. You see, they gathered together and they all built the wall and this one did that bit, this one did that bit and they kept going and building it up, stressing and striving to get it done when actually they should have been at peace and rest because no presence means we end up not knowing God and we just do things to to fill the gap, to make it look good, to feel good. That's what we end up doing. Let me just share with you um, a prophecy from the book of Zechariah, chapter 2. You see, Nehemiah comes back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. But he's misunderstood something. You see, the scriptures tell a very different story about what Jerusalem was supposed to be like. Zechariah, chapter 2, verse 4, says this. And, And the angel said to him, Run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. I myself will be a a wall of fire around it and I will be its glory within. See, Nehemiah was leading the people to work and build the walls but God was like what are you doing when Jerusalem is re-established it's going to be a city without walls because I will be its wall I will be its wall don't strive and stress rest peace and rest no presence no peace and rest we just strive and stress I wonder are you striving and stressing or are you at peace and rest and, and you see, here's the thing. They ended up doing that because they misunderstood the scriptures. Before Nehemiah, Ezra came and he was so passionate and zealous for the Torah and for the Lord. But so passionate that they didn't grasp the heart of the scriptures. You see, when there is presence, when the spirit is there, then the law, the Torah, the scriptures, the Bible... They become life-giving words that bring order and beauty and peace to our lives. But without them, they just become this thing that binds us up. You remember the story of Ezekiel? Uh, Ezekiel, he has this encounter with God. He's caught up in the spirit. And and as he's caught up in the spirit, God gives him this scroll. He says, these are my words for my people. Take and eat this scroll. And as he eats it, As he eats it, he says, it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. It tasted as sweet as honey. Because the word of God is good. When we read and take it in with his spirit, we let it breathe life in us. Psalm chapter one, one, or Psalm one, uh, we've read that recently. And um, 
it talks about those who delight in the Torah, in the, in the teaching, in the scriptures, in the Bible, in the word of the Lord. Those who delight in the Torah will be like trees planted by a stream and they will bear fruit in season. You see, it is presence, it is spirit that brings the word of life to us. And it is presence, it is his spirit that produces fruit in us. Some of us are still trying to build the walls. We're still striving and stressing to make it look right, to live right, to get it right, to do church right. We're striving and stressing to put this on, put that on, make that happen. That's what some of us are even longing to get back to, right? We want to get back to that stuff. This COVID thing has stopped us doing that. We can't wait to get back to it. To striving and stressing, to to, to rebuilding the walls and making it look good on the outside. But there's no point if there's no presence It is pointless without the presence of God. Church, let me encourage you, seek him, chase after him, set your heart on him. Because if there's no presence, there's no point. No presence, no point. Let me wrap up by sharing this with you. This uh, last week or so, Steve O'Shea got back from his holiday um, and when he came back, he believes that God gave him a word for us as church while he was there and he wrote it down and he's given it to the elders and we just started praying over it. But I just want to share some of it with you. You see, he shared in his word a verse from 2 Chronicles that we've been reading. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14, it says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their ways, then I will come and I will heal their land. I will come and I will heal their land. Do you hear that church? It is God who will show up. I will show up. My presence will be there and I will do it. I will be the wall. I will establish it. I will do it. If my people who are called by my name will seek me, humble themselves, put everything else aside and say, we are going 100% after Jesus. That is all we are about him and him alone, then he will show up. Discipleship starts with being with Jesus. It starts with being with Jesus. Let's start there. Let's start there. No presence, no point. You can build the walls. We can teach the scriptures We can do all of that again and again and again. We can build the temple. We can set up our church building and do all kinds of things. But no presence, no point. No presence, no point. It will just look just as bad at the end as it has done again and again and again throughout history, throughout the story of the people of God, unless it's about his presence. We're going to share communion in just a moment. And I want to encourage you, as we do this, don't just go through the motions. 
Don't just break the bread. Don't just drink the wine. Don't just let the scripture be read over you. Stop. You can press pause. Take all the time you need. When you break the bread, when you drink the wine, when you, when you hear the scriptures, they're not just those things. You see the temple, the Torah, the wall, the, the, those things in Ezra and Nehemiah, they were there to invite people into something deeper, something bigger, something more exciting and life-giving. And the same with this. Jesus' body was broken so that the effect of our sin could be broken and we could come into his presence. Jesus' blood was poured out on the cross like his spirit would be poured out into our lives. Life from him to us. No presence, no point. And we have a God who wants you to know his presence.